This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. I'm very excited to be here this morning uh, to bring God's word to you, uh, but it is a great responsibility, and I don't take that lightly. I hope you'll bear with me, because I'm not the most eloquent speaker, but thankfully God doesn't rely on that for his word to be spoken. And it's not me who's going to change any hearts, but that's God. So without further ado, let's, let's get into it. I'm going to start reading from... Uh, Psalm 32. A mascal of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer, Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance, Selah. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit or bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. If you've been here this summer, you know we'll be, that we are going through a psalm series. And you'll know that the psalms are a collection of poems um, and songs which have a variety of different styles. This one is called a mascal, which roughly translates as being an instruction or a contemplation, a psalm of wisdom, a lesson we are to take away from today. The word selah is thought to be uh, a musical notation, a pause, a time to stop and to think. Anyone who knows me might know that I'm not the most emotional person. I've even been called a robot before. (laughs) Yeah, and some people may have felt offended if they were called that, but I felt nothing. (laughs) (laughs) 
There are no more jokes this morning, so that one has to last you right until the end. So trust me to pick a psalm which is more instructional and contemplative than expressive. But the more I got to know this psalm, the more I realised actually it has a lot to express. It is 11 verses packed full of truths to benefit and water our souls. And ultimately to help us to know God better. So we'll start from the beginning. A very good place to start. <clears throat> Verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, if this was a novel, it wouldn't be a very good novel, because it begins with the punchline. It starts at the end. It starts with what we are to learn from this lesson. But if you've been to school recently, you will know that quite often at the start of a lesson, they put up on the, at the start, these are the learning objectives. These are the things we want you to know by the end. David here says three things, three very similar things. He says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sins are covered, and whose iniquity is not counted against them. Like a triplet. In the Bible, triplets are quite significant and seen as a, a point of particular importance. Here he is saying we can have a triple blessing if we are forgiven. So today's sermon is about that, the blessings of forgiveness. But then this begs the question, how can we get this? How are we blessed in this way? And that's where the lesson begins. David assumes, first and foremost, that we know we need forgiveness. He says, blessed are the forgiven. But actually, forgiveness doesn't make sense unless we know what we are forgiven from or forgiven of. So to understand forgiveness... We need to understand sin. Next slide, please. Does anyone recognize this? This is the four points. And it was created as a great and simple way to understand the gospel and to be able to explain the gospel. It begins with, God loves us. We have, and then the second one is, we have sinned against God. And then Jesus died for us. And then what are we going to do about it? I think in Christian circles, and maybe even church, it is very easy to speak about how much God loves us. And that's right, and that's good. And it's very easy to say that God sacrificed himself for us in that act of love. And even beg the question, so what are we going to do? How are we going to live our lives? But how easy is it for us to skip that second step? that we have sinned. But if we don't understand that we have sinned, then why did Jesus, Jesus have to die? So first of all, we need to understand about sin and our position in relation to God. It can be awkward to speak about sin, but if we don't learn it in church, where else are we going to learn it? 
as Christians, we think, uh, we, we may feel that we don't need to learn about it because we're free from it. And it's true, we are free from it. However, um, if we lose sight of where we have come from, we lose sight of what Jesus has done for us. So for those of you in the room who don't know God already, understanding sin is to understand why we need him. And part of understanding sin is understanding the holiness of God. Now God is not just this lovely, friendly guy, okay? There are many names for God in the Bible. I'll go through just a couple of them. Elohim, the all-powerful one, the creator. Adonai, my great Lord. El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. El Olam, the everlasting God. El Roy, the God who sees me. Yahweh, the I am, the one who is, the self-existent one. There is so much more to God than just this friendly person. And sometimes we can lose the awe of who God is, his greatness, his power, his holiness. So let's turn to Isaiah, where Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament who had a very vivid vision of who God was. We'll start with in uh, chapter 6. He says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, what do you think he sort of said? He said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And what was Isaiah's response to being in the presence of God? Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah felt the full weight of his sin when he was presented with a holy God. God's perfection naturally demands perfection and exposes our brokenness. It makes us guilty. And sometimes we can think, well, sin isn't so bad. You know, when we're exposed to what's going on in our lives, our friends, TV, things like that, influences around us, we can be mollycoddled into thinking, you know, we're not so bad. You don't need anyone else you'll find just the way you are. But this is not the Bible. That's not what the Bible teaches us. We need God. Would we wish for a less holy God so we wouldn't feel like we are so guilty? Because the more holy God is, the more wretched we are. And if God is the holy of holies, 
we are more wretched than we can imagine. But stay with me, because this is not the end of the story. But the Bible speaks so candidly about sin, and, I, and we don't often speak about it. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 11, he says, even you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. We often move on to the point of what Jesus is saying there, but forget the point that he just called us evil. God says, to, God says in, to Noah in Genesis after the flood, he says, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. That's quite strong words. But for those who have children, know that you don't have to teach them to be selfish or greedy. It comes naturally. We are good. We are good at sin. So now we have this stark contrast, right, between God's holiness and our brokenness and our incapacity, our incapability to be able to live up to any perfect standard. This is something that has to be established for everything else to make sense, okay? I hope you're still with me. Before we can understand the gospel, which is the good news of the Bible, we have to understand this. If we move on to verse 3 from Psalm 32 then. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Here David isn't saying because I sinned all of these bad things happened or I felt so bad. No. He says because I kept silent all of these bad things happened. I think that's an important distinction. He held on to his sin. He left his sin to fester and throb like a splinter left in and not pulled out. He tried covering it and hoping that it would just go away on its own. Also to note here, he's saying that this suffering is a result of God. But does God cause us suffering? Would God cause David to suffer? Well, that's what he's saying. He's saying, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. God's hand denoting his will or his influence in our lives. We often pray for God's influence in our lives, but we wouldn't expect him to cause us any suffering. But what is this suffering? This suffering is conviction, the Holy Spirit working in his heart to draw him back to repentance. This is a mercy and a gift. The fact that we go astray and God calls us back how amazing. This repentance, if this is a, an unfamiliar word to you, is turning from our wayward ways, turning from our sin and following God again, recalibrating our heart. David felt this deep, visceral suffering. But if suffering is what it takes for me to repent, then I'll take it. Then give me suffering. So how does David respond? Well, David can't keep hold of his sin forever. He can't keep his lips sealed of his sin forever. He can't cope 
He needs release. And this leads us on to our big lesson of the psalm. It it starts and ends in a selah, in a pause. This is the principal lesson. Verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. I don't want us to lose the simplicity of this verse. David sinned. He confessed to the Lord and he was forgiven. David didn't just flippantly say, I'm sorry, and move on. But he acknowledged his sin. He named it. He exposed it. He dragged it out from the darkness. He didn't hide it or minimize it or make excuses for it. He said, this is what I have done. I know that it was wrong and I have no excuse. Please forgive me. And this kind of forgiveness is offered to all of us, freely given, just like this verse. We don't have to serve any punishments, any penance, or work off our debt in any way. It is freely given, no strings attached. We read in Isaiah, we continue to read it in Isaiah, from where we left off, with Isaiah feeling totally wretched. He says, Then one one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, which he took with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Freely given forgiveness. And you might think, well, if God is all about punishment for sin and needs to have justice, then surely this makes a mockery of his justice. That he can freely give forgiveness for sins that we deserve punishment for, well, let me tell you, we may freely receive it, but it doesn't mean it didn't cost anything. Where did the sin go? I've already mentioned it, but if we read from John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus lived the perfect life and died for our sin. All of our sin and punishment was put against him so that we could be free. Remember that name of God, Elroy, the God, the one who sees me. In a way, that's a terrifying thought, the God who sees me. He knows everything I've done. But he is the God who sees me and yet he freely forgives me. So why don't us, many of us in the room are Christians, why don't we confess more? Is it because we have become numb to the fact that sin is so opposed to God and that actually some sins we don't think are so bad? Or maybe we think that because we're Christians there's no requirement to confess anymore because we're saved from our sin, which is true. Or maybe we have sin that is left in the dark and we know it's there and it's a burden for us. 
and we feel like we're hiding from God whenever we come to church or whenever we pray. Or for some of us, maybe we have recurring sin and we feel stuck in a cycle of sinning and then going to God in repentance and then going back to the sin and then going to God in repentance. And maybe you feel like you can't ask God for forgiveness anymore because you've done it too many times. I felt that. I've been there. I would say for that particularly, if that is you, speak to someone about it. Receive prayer about that. Break the cycle and know God's deep and unending forgiveness. I think for other of us, the sin is more covert. Sometimes we can confuse sin with being part of, just being part of a personality. Maybe we, we see greed actually is disguised as success. Or gossip as just being a chatty relational person. Or impatience with being decisive. Or dishonest with being persuasive. So let us confess these things to God, who will freely forgive us. Confession is not just a once-time thing, and then you're in Christ, you're a Christian, and that's it for the rest of your life. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, just a few lines, a blueprint of how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. One of these sentences was dedicated to confession. He says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It should be a regular practice for us who are in him. I want to be really crystal clear with this next point because I don't want anyone to hear me wrong and hear what I'm not saying. There is no amount of confession that will save you. You do not confess for your salvation or to keep your salvation. That is not what confession is about. John Piper puts it like this. Confession of sin is not the basis of our forgiveness. It is one of the traits that show we are truly in Christ, where all of our sins are covered by his blood. Going to war with our sin is impossible without confessing and admitting it's wrong, and we've done wrong. And if it's not totally clear, confession is a fruit, is something that comes from the fact that we have been saved by God. He saves us and we naturally will confess what we've done wrong. It is not for to achieve salvation. When God saves you and you're in him, you are safe. You're totally safe. We're not walking a tightrope. We're not tiptoeing on eggshells. Let's carry on reading the psalm. In verse 6, therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. Here David paints a picture referencing the flood. The flood of Noah. And what was the flood of Noah? It was God's judgment on mankind, on, the sin, on sinful mankind. But, and where was the only safe place during the flood? It was in the ark. It was being covered and hidden in him. 
we have been spared the judgment that we deserve. And he joyfully gives us this deliverance. He is not begrudgingly forgiving us. He's not saying, okay, I'll forgive you again. He's saying, I forgive you and I'm going to rejoice at my forgiveness over you. I shout, I surround you with shouts of deliverance. I surround you with love. That is the place that we're in. When we've done wrong and we confess our sins to the Lord, we can join him in that, in that joy. Verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed by bit or bridle, or it will not stay near you. This verse is interesting. It changes tune. Because this verse is a prophetic verse where David is hearing God's voice. If anyone's unfamiliar with a bit or a bridle, a bridle is a, a harness that goes around a horse's head and a bit is a, is a piece of metal that goes in their mouth. The rider uses this with the reins to steer the horse left or right, pulling the bit left or right. This causes the horse discomfort, so to, for it to feel the least discomfort, it will turn left or right where the rider wants it to go. And for the vast majority of horses, they don't listen to left or right. They have to be pulled this way or that. And God is saying, don't be like that. Don't need to be forced this way or that to follow the right path. But actually, listen to his instruction and the way that he teaches us. John Daly preached a couple of weeks ago and painted a beautiful picture of the good shepherd that we have from Psalm, 30, from Psalm 23. Where the sheep of the herd know the good shepherd's voice. The shepherd will sing a song or shout and they will follow because they trust in the good shepherd and they know that he will lead them to green pastures and still waters. God is not only mighty and holy. He is also our teacher, our mentor, our provider and our protector. He is patient and gentle with us. Verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who, is, who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. David is ending this lesson with worship. What better place to end? He's saying, come, rest and be glad in the Lord. Now, I would challenge anyone here who still feels like they have, that, that they are condemned or guilty, who has, who has that feeling in them from anything that I've said or maybe they've brought that to church with them. If you have a burden of sin that you haven't taken to the Lord, then confess and receive freeing forgiveness freely given. Or if you have already brought that to the Lord, but you're still feeling wretched and condemned, then look at David. He felt like that, but he went to the Lord and was, 
was forgiven. You are forgiven. Did he have any guilt left in him? No. He only had room for praise. So let us trust in Jesus' completed work on the cross. Let us not doubt that what he did there, what he achieved on the cross, hasn't completed its work. The job is done. We are washed completely clean. Galatians 5 verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Romans 8 verse 1. There is now, there is, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So for those of us in the room who trust in the Lord, we are triple blessed and we are safe. Panache preached last week about God being our safety and the biblical definition of what safety is. Being free from condemnation, being in a state of salvation, saved. We are so blessed because we are safe in him. We are in the ark. We are blessed also because we are led by a good shepherd. The chains of slavery are released and we can walk with him, adopted into his family. Referencing verse 1 and 2, our sins are forgiven, they are covered and they are not counted against us. If you are not a Christian today, then this is not an exclusive offer. This is not an exclusive act that God has done. He loves to save. And if you feel like this morning, or building up to this morning, that God is working in your heart, then I would really encourage you to speak to someone at the end of the service. Me or, or someone else. I'm sure everyone would be willing to speak to you. So we can help you get to know him better. So let us take a moment to dwell on his goodness. Remember the cost that was paid for the, for the forgiveness we freely received and how we've been welcomed into his family. Let me pray. Lord, we can't do this on our own. We can't take away our sin. In our own strength, we will never be good enough. And the more we see you and know of you, the more we understand this to be true. In our brokenness, we can't stand before you. But For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. joy at the gift we've received and join in the angels at glorifying you forever. Lord Jesus, thank you for everything you've done. Our loving Saviour. Amen.